you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill it to the Lord, the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Anybody here grow up saying that? Yeah, good. We've got a couple. Children, when they're talking with each other, you'll notice will often go to great lengths to ensure that the child is telling the truth, right? Particularly, and I know this because I've got four kids, particularly when candy is on the line. If I share my candy with you today, are you going to share your candy with me tomorrow? Yes. Really? Really. Promise? Promise. Cross your heart and hope to die. Cross my heart and hope to die. What's happening here is that the promise is being scaled up. Okay? A simple yes isn't enough to give that other child the assurance that they're going to do what they say. And we kind of snicker at this as adults, but of course we do the same thing. We just replace pinky promises with affidavits and promissory notes. But I think we're both trying to get at the same thing. Is your, does your yes mean yes and does your no mean no? If you're, if you're just joining us today, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, this, uh, this block of teaching that Jesus gives in Matthew 5 to 7. And uh, we're, we're, we're in this section where Jesus is going uh, through the law, and he's saying, you thought it meant this, but I'm going to give you the true interpretation of the law. And so the last few weeks, we've gone from anger to adultery and, and lust to divorce, and today we get to talk about oaths. Someone might be thinking, I have never been so happy to talk about oaths. <laughs> we're going to talk about oaths, but we're going to talk about more than oaths. We're going to talk about integrity, because remember, Jesus wants to transform us, okay? He doesn't want to just get us to follow the rules. He wants to transform us at a deep level. So just a little bit of background. Back in Jesus' day, um, like today, you could um, invoke God's name as a way of strengthening your promise. So um, can you put up that first slide, Ron? Here's a couple verses as Jesus, he doesn't just quote one verse here. Uh, but he probably has a couple verses in mind, and here's one of them from Leviticus 19.12. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And then the next one, from Numbers 32. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So to invoke God's name would be to strengthen that promise, okay? To make that promise to somebody else more credible. 
But the problem was, if you invoked God's name and then you broke that promise, you didn't follow through with what you said you would do, that would be considered misusing God's name, profaning God's name, and would incur judgment. And so the people at the time, like we always seem to do, they find clever ways of getting around this. Okay, they want to strengthen their promise, their public promise to somebody else, but they want to avoid using God's name. So rather than swear on God's name, they would swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by their head. Okay, we do something similar today. Sometimes we invoke our mother's graves. Sometimes we, we stack up some Bibles to strengthen a promise. And into this, Jesus says no more. Okay, no more swearing oaths. We're done with that. This is what he says in verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, you're trying to avoid God's name. Okay? You're trying to swear by these other things, by heaven and by earth and by Jerusalem. But the problem, according to Jesus, is that all of this belongs to God. Okay, again, they're trying to find a substitute for God to swear on. But Jesus is saying, whatever you grab, whatever you try to substitute for God's name, it belongs to God. Heaven belongs to God. It's his throne. Earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is its city. In other words, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying you can't divide your life into two spaces. You can't divide your life into one space where God is present and another space where God is not because God is everywhere and everything belongs to God. I think we have a little bit of a similar temptation for us today. Maybe uh, we kind of consider this space right here, uh, this sanctuary, this time on Sunday morning, somehow a little bit differently than maybe when we go to our job on Monday morning. We operate in two different spaces. Uh, if you're a math person, you know the word integer. And if you know that word, it means whole. It means a number that's not divided. And so, of course, that's where we get the word integrity. A life of integrity is a life where we don't divide our lives up that way. Okay, so I stand here, uh, as I did probably a month ago, and I preached on anger. And I hopefully was fairly calm as I preached on anger. But if you drive past me in Columbiana and you see me just losing it in my car and laying on my horn, my life is not going to seem very integrated to you. It's going to seem to you like I have one way of operating in this space right here, but when I'm in Columbiana, I have another way of operating. And Jesus is saying it, life doesn't work that way. You can't have one space where God's present and another space where God's not because God is always before us. Okay, so we, we have to, as disciples of Jesus, live lives that are integrated. But then he uses this example of oaths. Let's think about what an oath is. An oath is a way of guaranteeing that you're telling the truth. So at times you'll go to uh, a court or you'll uh, have some legal matter in a person or you'll be asked to swear an oath. Okay, and in the Anabaptist Midnight tradition, which we're part of, these verses from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we've, we've probably given more attention to these than most of Christian traditions. And here's how we as Anabaptists have understand, understood these verses. One, we commit to our, ourselves to unconditionally tell the truth and keep our word. I don't think there's anything 
right, too controversial about that. But secondly, we've used these words to say we will avoid swearing oaths in the courts of law and other legal matters. And then finally, we've also taken these words to mean that we will not take oaths of allegiance that would conflict with our ultimate allegiance to God. So why have we, why is we of Anabaptists taken these verses so seriously? Um, I remember as I studied this passage, I you know, read various commentators from various streams of Christianity, and, and here's kind of the line you run into a lot. It's like, well, we admire those Quakers and those Anabaptists. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to compromise on swearing oath, but let's be realistic. Like, this is a little bit of an excessively literalistic understanding of Jesus' words. Uh, and while the early church took these words seriously, Jesus took these words seriously, um, and groups like the Anabaptists and Quakers have continued to do so, most Christians have understood Jesus' words to mean that we are not to, to take oaths in private, but it's okay in public. Okay, so if I go to the court of law and I'm asked to, t- to swear something, that's okay, it's in public. But if I'm just trying to make a deal with a friend and I want to swear that I'm going to pay them back tomorrow, we have, most people have said that's not okay. So public... It's okay, private, it's not. And the, the basic problem we've had with Anabaptists with this is that it just doesn't seem like Jesus says that. Because Jesus says, do not swear an oath at all. And so Jesus doesn't seem to be making a distinction between what one does in private and what one does in public. And you can put up the next slide. I think this is what Jesus' uh, brother James seemed to understood too, because in his own book he writes this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Let's think about this more. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, honestly, um, I did, I, I've um, served as a juror before, and all of a sudden I, had to, I realized I was going to be on this jury, and I was asked to stand up, and I was asked to swear an oath, and I had to be, hey, no, I, I can't swear, I can affirm um, but honestly, I didn't really think much about it. Why can I affirm and not swear? Is, is, Jesus, is that all that Jesus is trying to do? He just wants to substitute affirm for swear? Or is there something deeper going on here? I think there is. I think Jesus is imagining a world in, with, in which oaths are not necessary at all. See, when, when, when someone decides to follow Jesus, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you're stepping into a kingdom, a world of utter honesty where yes really means yes and no really means no. And because of this, as disciples of Jesus, oaths are no longer necessary. They're no longer necessary because as a disciple of Jesus, I need to do what I say I'm going to do and mean what I say what I say. And so Jesus, he doesn't allow disciples to live divided lives. Jesus doesn't think of two tiers of honesty. There's not a I'm telling you the truth and then I'm going to swear And therefore, I'm really telling you the truth. See, I think the problem with public oaths is it gives uh, the impression that there's kind of two levels of honesty. There's a trustworthy when you're swearing, and then there's a trustworthy when you're not swearing. And Jesus wants to put an end to that. Okay, disciples, we don't need to put our hand on a stack of Bibles. We don't need to invoke our mother's graves. We don't need to worry uh, about the threat of a needle going into our eye. We're just going to tell the truth. Why? Because as disciples, we're bound to something 
more powerful than the oath. What are we bound to? We're bound to Jesus Christ. And because we're bound to Jesus Christ, our lives have to be lives of utter honesty. It doesn't matter if we're in the courtroom or we're outside the courtroom. I mean, just think about, this is my experience uh, with people. The more words that someone adds on to a promise, the more I get nervous. Right? Just think about someone you're doing a business deal with or whatever, and they say, I'll do it. And then think about the time where someone says, I'll do it. No, you can trust me, seriously. You got nothing to worry about. <laughs> this is in the bank. I am going to do this. Right? The more you talk, the more you make me nervous. Because every word beyond yes just makes me doubt you more. And followers of Jesus, we should have the reputation that no matter where we are, whether we're here, whether we're in our places of work, when we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. Randy Harris says, Jesus wants us to have an integrity that runs so deep that nothing you could say would add anything to your simple word. So we as disciples of Jesus are to live lives of such deep integrity, such integrated and whole lives that we don't divide them up, that there's nothing we could say that would add anything to yes or no. So go back, go back to the courtroom with me. Again, what does this matter? Why does it matter that we might be dividing up our private lives from a public life? Well, here's why I think it matters. Because we don't do that as disciples. Jesus, as Scott McKnight points out, is extending the ethic of disciples from their private life to the world they enter. In other words, we can't have an ethic here a way of behaving here in this sanctuary or in our home that does not go out wherever we as disciples go into the world. And here's why I think this is important for us to wrestle. Like, you, you think it's strange not to take a public oath? Wait until Jesus commands you to love your enemy. Like, you think taking a public, not taking a public oath is weird? Think about the command to love your enemy. And so the way Christians have often tried to soften that is say, well... What Jesus really means is in private, you are to love your enemy, but in public, you are given permission not to love your enemy, right? In other words, if the government tells me that I'm allowed to kill someone, I'm allowed to kill someone. In my private life, no, but in my public life, yes. So I think it matters what Jesus is saying about oaths because Jesus is saying there's going to be no separation between your private life and your public life. Now, this does not mean we go out of our way to antagonize the government or just try to be difficult. Okay, what we're trying to do as disciples when we do this is to tell people our word is rock solid. Okay, I think it's easy to skip, um, you know, past Jesus' prohibition against swearing oaths and just talk about honesty, and we'll get to that. But Jesus doesn't. He specifically chooses to talk about public oaths. And I think he does that because he wants our public and our private lives to be integrated. But I think we can keep going, okay? I think we can, we can keep going and talk about honesty because I think Jesus does want his followers to be honest all the time, meaning we're going to be honest in our areas, all areas of life, in our families, uh, with our friends, and our businesses, and our jobs. Uh, I can't remember who told me this, but not long after I got here, someone came up and said, you know, if you went to Whitmer's Farm and Equipment, the person to go to to buy your tractor was Glenn Wanger. And for those of you who don't know Glenn, he was a longtime member here in our congregation who moved to Columbus years ago. And the, the reason this person said you went to Glenn is because Glenn was always going to shoot straight with you, right? You knew, I mean, you, and if you know Glenn, you know <laughs> Glenn's not going to be spinning stuff about some tractor. 
And I don't think that would surprise you, but I just think, what a beautiful testament. Like, uh, that guy, I'm gonna, I'm, I know if I go to that guy in his business, he's always going to tell me the truth. That, that someone would actually seek us out because they trust us that much. It doesn't matter where we work. We should be known as disciples of Jesus as people who are completely honest, which seems pretty straightforward, right? Like, why would we not be honest then? Why do we so often fail to tell the truth? Why do we so often play loose with the truth? Because the truth is costly. See, rather than pursuing Jesus' guide as a fairly straightforward thing not to lie, the reality is that most of us, when we come into whether we tell the truth or not, we first do a calculation, how much is it going to cost us? And I know this from personal experience. Uh, A number of years ago, I was driving, I was up playing basketball in Canfield, uh, driving back to Midway on Route 46, uh, hadn't been in, lived in the area that long, and you guys know this, it goes from 55 to in the morning when you hit South Range, all of a sudden it's I think 20 or 25 miles an hour. Really drops really fast all of a sudden. Um, and if you're new to the area, you don't always see these flashing uh, warning signs telling you that you have to slow down. So it's easy to be going well above the speed limit, even double the speed limit, as I was that morning. Uh, and because I was in a school zone, I couldn't just pay a ticket. I had to actually go to court, um, is what the officer told me. So I started doing a little bit of research, and I realized I had a few options. Actually, you know, talked to a lawyer and said I could either plead guilty, I could plead innocent, or I could plead no contest. And the general counsel was to pr- plead no contest. And I started thinking about this and what this ticket was going to cost me. And I started thinking, I wonder if that light was even flashing. (laughs) Like, there's no way I would have missed a flashing light as I was driving down. And I was thinking, you know, it was really foggy that morning. Probably, even if it was flashing, probably the fog had so covered up that light that I couldn't even see it. In other words, once I realized the mess I had gotten myself into, all of a sudden I started to think about that incident with a very different lens. I started seeing it very differently. I started running a cost-benefit analysis, and it seemed like telling the truth was going to be pretty costly. There was only one problem. I was guilty. There was no getting around it. The problem wasn't that I didn't know the truth. The problem was that the truth seemed too costly. And so I pleaded guilty, and the judge was merciful to me, gave me, you know, a fine of $125 or something. It was a beautiful picture of grace and mercy that I experienced, but I learned something. Never miss a flashing school zone sign. And I'll tell you what, the law worked. Every time I spot those things from a mile away, the law worked. This time I told the truth, but how many times have I made the other choice See, we want to tell the truth, we just don't want it to cost us. We don't want it to cost us financially, so we fudge our taxes. We don't report all our income. And we find ways to justify it. You know, what the government doesn't know won't hurt it. The government doesn't need my hard-earned money. We want to tell the truth to the person who asks our opinion about their work or their life or what they're wearing, And we really want to tell the truth, but we also really want them to like us. And so we don't tell the truth, and we justify it by saying, you know, I'm just being loving, when in reality we're seeking for approval. 
We want to be people of integrity, but we also want to look good. We want to curate our lives on social media to present our lives in a way that in reality doesn't align with the truth. We want to tell the truth and present ourselves in an honest way until it costs us something, until it costs us money, until it costs us control, until it costs us approval, until it costs us our reputation. And the problem is, is that lies beget lies. Because soon as we tell a lie, we're going to soon have to tell another lie to cover that up. I remember in high school, uh, during finals, uh, being caught looking at someone else's paper. And I got my final taken away, and I went up to the teacher, and I told them I was not looking at that person's paper, which I was. That's the problem, is that once you do one thing, you cheat, then you've got to lie to then get out of another thing you were doing. Lies beget lies. One form of dishonesty leads to another. And we end up leaving, living these divided lives. Right? Rather than living a life of integrity, of wholeness, we divide our lives up. And the, ap- the opposite of in- integration is disintegration. And that's a real problem. As we begin to live into dishonesty, we actually begin to lose the ability to understand who we are. I mean, think about a time in your life where you've found out that someone you knew well had been lying to you for a long time. Almost always the first thing you think is, I feel like I don't even know this person. See, what happens is that lie exposes something in them, and you begin to call into question everything else that's happened before them. If they lied to me about this, what else did they lie to me about? And not only that, but uh, if you'll notice, oftentimes when a person's lie has been exposed, they'll actually say something like, I don't even know who I am. And I think they mean it. They've lived such a divided, such a fractured life that they don't even know who they are. And as disciples of Jesus, we're called to live in lives of utter honesty and integrity, no matter the cost, because that's how Jesus lived. See, Jesus not only commands us to live lives of integrity, honest, no matter the cost, that's how he lived. In Matthew 26, later on in this book, Jesus will be standing in front of the high priests on trial, and he'll be charged under oath to identify himself. His life is on the line. Who are you? The high priest says to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. If Jesus says he's the Messiah, the Son of the God, Son of God, he's dead. What does he do? Interestingly enough, he doesn't, he seems to avoid swearing under oath. Right? And consistent with his opposition to oaths, he doesn't say anything other than, you have said so. So he refuses to take an oath, but at the same time, he claims the truth. He is the Messiah. You've said it. And for telling the truth, Jesus pays the ultimate price, his life. Jesus doesn't just instruct his disciples to do the hard work of telling truth, even when it costs us. He embodied it. He modeled it for us. He was, as he said, the way, the truth, and the life. But not only does Jesus command us and give us an example of how to tell the truth and what a life of integrity looks like, he enables us to tell the truth. See, one of the things that happens when we come to Jesus, when we cleave ourselves to Jesus as his disciples, the one who is the truth exposes our lies. See, when you encounter Jesus, you have not just had an encounter with Jesus, you've had an encounter with yourself. Because when you encounter Jesus, you then begin to see yourself as you actually are. And we don't like to see ourselves as we actually are. We're afraid a lot of times to see ourselves as we actually are. We lie to others and we lie to ourselves because we're afraid that we'll actually see ourselves how we really are and that these lies are true 
that our sinfulness will be exposed. And when that sinfulness is exposed, it'll be too much to bear. See, those who hate, those who, who love evil hate the truth because the truth exposes who they really are. And so they crucify the truth just like they crucified Jesus. But the reason that those of us who follow Jesus can be honest with ourselves, we can admit our faults, we can admit our brokenness, is because the cross is in front of us. See, we encounter Jesus and we encounter the truth of Jesus and the truth in ourselves, but we also encounter the cross. And the cross reveals two things at the same time. The cross reveals the depth of our brokenness and our sin and the depth of God's love for us. The cross shows us to what extent God had to go to reconcile us to God's self. It's an incredible amount of love because it's an incredible amount of brokenness. And we know for sure as we look at the cross that God is for us. And because God is for us and God is faithful to us, because God can see us as we really are and forgive us, we can see ourselves as we really are. We can tell the truth. We can tell our truth to others and to ourselves, no matter what the cost.